now part two of our conversation with Mr. Sean Richards. So let's talk about the process of the documentary. How, I, I guess like you've got a good amount of cast members from part three to be in it. Um, like Paul Fracco was the, um, like the host of the documentary, if you will, and the narrator. How did you go about getting them? Was it, did you make those the connections at the conventions or did you email them? It originally started and I was living in Indianapolis at the time that Richard passed away. And I think a friend reached out to me and told me that Richard had passed away. And I had kind of an instantaneous idea, like it just popped in my head of, because this is 2013 and the cabin uh, burned in uh, 2006, April, 2006. So, you know, that's seven years later, as those years had gone by, um, you know, I noticed through Friday pages, this, that, and the other, that nobody's posting any pictures of this set that where it's intact. Like a lot of people had gone there and done videos. And I think there's even a video with Gloria Charles that somebody filmed and it's, you know, it's rubble. There's no, mm -hmm. and, and so I was like, wow, I, I feel really lucky to have been able to visit that set when it was intact and um, get what I got. And uh, so this instantaneous idea just popped in my head of wanting to do it, maybe a couple minute video uh, sharing uh, my high camera footage of the interior, exterior, and then um, some photography shots. And at the end of the video, just saying for Richard Brooker, because that's all being in Indianapolis. That's really all I could do with it at the time. Maybe put some nice music over it and kind of like what you see when they're talking about Richard's, you know, sunset photos and it's something like that. And, you know, for Richard. Um, and then at the end of that year, and I was actually working with a couple of people that primarily worked on commercials in Indy. Um, that was their bread and butter. And we were trying to get something together about it, but didn't quite take off. So, uh, right after Christmas 2013, I got an opportunity to go out to the Phoenix area and uh, try to get going relevant to my career. My aunt and uncle live out there. So I went out there and through a friend, her sister was dating this, this guy who um, he said he was a director um, uh, and he's credited as director for the documentary. So I met him pitched the idea to him um, and he said, well, I, so what do you got so far? And I was like, well, not a whole lot. I got a video and, and photography and I got a few Richard stories and he's like, well, it, you know, and I was thinking, but I was thinking, how about we, you know, maybe make it something longer, maybe more of a documentary style. So he's like, well, that's great, but um, you're probably going to need a, you know, we're going to need a script. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. So I did my research uh, and I wrote that script um, over the next probably few weeks, month, whatever it took. Um, and, I, and I was aware that there had already been some documentaries done up to that point in time about the subject of Friday the 13th. Um, his name was Jason. Yeah. I think that came out before 2013. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Crystal Lake Memories with Peter Brackey. I think that came out. 2010, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I already knew the subject matter had been covered 
I didn't know how well because I really didn't watch either of those. All I knew was I want to make this unique. I want to make this special for Richard and the fans. Um, so I kind of tailored it to that. And once I got a script together as much as I could, you know, think of to put in there, um, I got it together. Um, I started the project page. Um, I reached out to Adrian King and Harry Manfredini uh, through Facebook, I believe. And they were totally behind the project idea. And, uh, and then Adrian's like, yeah, and if you ever need me for any kind of part in it, just let me know. Um, and, you know, Harry was supportive too. Harry's super nice guy. And um, so I, then I saw Paul, you know, I started, I think I started looking up cast members or people relevant to part three. And I found Paul Kratka on Facebook. And I don't know if we were connected at the time, but I did message him and I didn't get a response. I messaged him about the project and didn't hear anything back. And then um, I think I saw a clip or something he was involved with in a filmmaker named Scott Goldberg had worked with him. And so, uh, but I kept, you know, sharing on the project page. And I think I had said, it's got Paul Kratka's support and he shared it to his page. So thank you, Paul, it was just a post. And I think Scott messaged me and said, are, are you, is Paul gonna be a part of your project? And I said, well, uh, I reached out to him, but I didn't hear a response. I think, yeah, I think I reached out once, maybe twice and didn't hear anything back. So I was like, okay. Um, Cause again, I, I'm, I'm a first time filmmaker with this. I, you know, so for them to, you know, take me seriously or know what I'm gonna do or how good it's gonna be, or if even it's even gonna get finished, I'm sure, you know, I, I understand the skepticism, especially after living in LA. Uh, with a first-time filmmaker. So, um, basically, he's like, so so did you, reach, did you reach out to Paul? He's like, yeah, I did and I, a couple of times, I think, and I didn't get a response. He's like, well, I work with Paul. Let, let me reach out to him. So, he did, and like, not even, I think it was later that night or the next day, Paul had called me and left a voicemail, and, uh, you know, he he said, hey, I, I heard about a project you got about your interest in doing about part, Friday 13th, part three, um, and you'd be interested in me being a part of it. Um, yeah, give me a call, and this is the time, and this is my number, and so I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, great. Um, so I called him back, talked about it. I remember that phone call. He, uh, first, on that time call filmmaker, first time filmmaker, you're like, oh, I, gotta, I really got to sell him on this. You know, it's it's going to be great. Got I'm, your I'm pitch gonna, ready. I'm going I'm I'm to shoot from the moon. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to do the best I can do. And, and and like, right when I started talking like that to Paul, he's like, you know what, Sean? You don't have to sell me on it. You don't have to sell me on it. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, great. 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 He's like, all right. Well, yeah. And so I said, well, you know, Paul, you still have, you sound just like you did in 82. You got a great speaking voice. And uh, uh, lo actually, I'd love for you to do the voiceover narrative for it if you'd be interested to host this. And he's like, yes, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. And uh, so we met up at a Holiday Inn across the street from Wally World, uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain. 
we yeah we recorded the narrative for this it was a that was a long day shout out to paul thank you paul he was a trooper he was a hard worker for this um he he came in he read the script he sounded jazzed about it and then before right before we like the night before he was like i i don't know about this and this now I, I was thinking oh my god he's gonna bail on the project and i'm like i was like holy shit i think i went outside and had a couple smokes or like in a row i'm like oh my god <laughs> now what and and i'm like yeah i was like freaking out a little bit not a little bit no i was freaking out was i was like oh my god he's gonna cancel he's gonna cancel um he came in the next day and he really wasn't saying that he was saying what i discovered about paul paul Krakow was um if i write something a then b he likes to say it b then a like so <laughs> we we both could say the same thing but he would say this first and this second and i would say this second and this first so that's really where he was so he was kind of like okay sean well do you mind if i you know change this the sentences a little bit i was like well paul you can do whatever you want as long as you don't change what i'm saying you know you can say it however you want so it, it still is a script I wrote. He just, he changed the sentence to, so when he would speak it naturally, it would sound natural and it would sound the way that, that Paul would say it. So yeah, it's still, and so basically we took that and then, um, so that's what I had. And then I got the job offer, the day job offer in um, Pasadena in uh, LA area. And I moved there in September. I think we recorded that narrative in like August of, 2014 so that's really all i had at that point in time when i moved to la area was um we had his voiceover um we also recorded the uh intro outro like that was crazy like we worked all day with the script and getting takes and making sure we got you know a good selection um but we made this beeline for the where we were, I was planning on doing the intro and outro for this, meaning where Paul steps out from. And then at the end, when he says, what if things would have ended differently? Yeah. And the original location for that, that I wanted to do was uh, where Harold and Edna's uh, uh, convenience store, a country market store at the beginning of the film was. So that was where Paul was supposed to be stepping out from maybe or by there and you would see the little brick facade because there's nothing there either and and then maybe the outro with the you know in the background with the van goes up the hill and chris is looking out and seeing the that was going to probably be behind him for the outro so anyway we're, we're we got to golden hour and we got there a little bit late or a little bit no we it was getting really close and i was kind of i think we should leave take a break from this and we need to get up there because it's golden hour and we don't want to lose a light. So I had the locale or a rough locale at the time. This is, yeah, 2014. So they say it's in this area. And so we, we were making a beeline for it. And Paul's following us in his, like, white Ford Econoline van. And he has his shirt changes that he brought with him for the selection. By the way, he ends up wearing my shirt in the intro, outro. <laughs> uh, good. how'd well, that happen <laughs> how'd that happen well it, it's just paul brought a selection it's funny because i asked him if he could bring a flannel 
like like uh, <laughs> like Rick War in three. You yeah, know, yeah. in the character a little bit, you know. And he's like, I don't have any flannels. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, and then when he, the selection he brought was a little, it wasn't. It kind of would have clashed a little bit. So I kind of just had we had gone to the screening for Tales of Poe a few days before. That's what we went over there for LA. We went to Tales of Poe. Uh, Adrian King said, come see this, you know, at the Egyptian theater, the screening. And then we met with Paul and did the, the voiceover. And so we did that all in like a four or five day stretch. And so anyway, yeah, we're making a beeline up there. And uh, so, <laughs> so we're going up there and like, man, this is taking forever to get to like, like, and I'm going fast. And I'm like, Okay, we're really cutting in the golden hour here. Uh, and then we get to the spot and there is a barricade across the road saying, this road has been closed until further notice. It's a major road. It's like oh, wow. up Magic Mountain, not Magic Mountain, not up the, uh, <laughs> right out there by Santa Clarita. And what are we supposed to do here? Like, um, wow, uh, shit, <laughs> Now at least. So I'm like, well, I have this other location. Uh, I got the address for it too. I just happened to have it. It was for the, the gas station where the bikers, you know, nice. uh, accosted Shelly and Shelly ran over their bikes. I was like, I got this too, the, the Green Valley, what have you, gas station. Um, so like, yeah, we got to go. We got, we're, you know, we're, we're like half almost halfway through golden hour or something like that. It's like, Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> God. Are we, are we, you know, so we got up there and Paul being the awesome professional that he is, he looked at the opening line. He said he, we did about, you know, he steps out from behind that gas stations across the street. He got it down. We did about five or six takes, something like that. And it's like, okay, we're good. We're good with that. And then we went over and did that road where Shelly takes off and the, the biker's like, hey, you son of a bitch, you know, and the, you see the, the beetle bug take off around that curve there. That's the curve behind Paul at the end. So um, he's standing right there. And we did about probably about five or, you know, five takes or so, probably something around, around there. And literally the last take we got was the one you see in the documentary. And the next take after that in the footage is too dark. So that's it. I reached out to everybody I could think of that was related to this film in some fashion via Facebook, via uh, contacts I had met. I, you know, I talked to uh, Peter Brackey. I talked to uh, Sean Clark um, and some other people. And I'm just hustled. I I'm just curious. hustled my ass off. And I just, I, you know, I didn't really expect this to be what it became. I just, I knew I was in the LA area. Um, I felt lucky to have landed out there. And this documentary and project is, you know, it's, it's starting to gain something. Now I have Paul Kratka as part of this and doing the voiceover. Um, and now I just, I, I want to do as much as I can for it to make it as good as it possibly could be. Um, I mean, I, I reached out to everybody. I, I reached out to, uh, uh, the lady who played Edna and 
her, I, I found her and I sent her a message and shows that she saw it. I reached out to Rachel Howard, uh, shows that she read it. Uh, nothing, you know, no, no response. And I understand, you know, you're going to get that. Um, a lot of people that did these movies, they just, that was a thing and they've moved on and they've done other careers and they're not interested to talk about it or, you yeah. know, so that's just the way that it is. Uh, other people like um, Tracy Savage, uh, Larry Zerner, David Kadams, um, you know, they're more receptive to it. They're more open to it. Um, so basically, I, we got Paul back uh, because he had done the, um, he had done the, the narrative and we got him back to do an interview. So he did the interview and then we got, uh, I think Caroline Williams the next day. Um, and she, she was great. And, um, and you know, it, and, and then we got, uh, uh, Larry and David and, um, you know, got Eric Brandon, who was one of Richard Brooker's best friends, if not his best friend, God bless him. Um, talked to Eric a number of times through, uh, through messenger. Cause he's over, he was overseas. He was German and, uh, just a super nice guy. And I loved his sense of humor. He was a riot. Like this guy's so sarcastic and just, I, I, you know, it's got this sense of humor. That's just awesome. And, um, we had also gotten, um, Chuck Edwards, uh, interview because he was the moderator. So I, I did have that as well going over to LA. He had shared, um, because he was the one who discovered that night uh, that the cabin had burned down. So, um, and I also had with me a book by the detective that he, the arson detective had wrote a number of, of his cases in a book. And one of them was about what happened oh, that night. Wow. So wow. I, I integrated that into the script. Okay. Um, I, I think I saw the book somewhere. Um, so, you know, I, I just want to make this as factual as it could be. Um, as as and, and like i say when i got over to la it, it just started ramping up into more and then all of a sudden i just wanted okay now i really want as much as this can be as good as it can be and i just kept knocking on doors and reaching out to people um and 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 just hustling and um you know uh and and at the end of the day we got who we got um uh david good cast yeah, yeah yeah really good cast man I mean, Dana Kimmel had heard about this project. Uh, David Kadams actually reached out to her after the interview, and uh, he had his number or her number on a uh, piece of paper in a drawer from years ago. Mm. And he tried it. And, and it worked. And, and it was like a landline probably. And, yeah, <laughs> oh, what are the odds of that, man? Yeah. Dusting so, off an old match. Remember the matches? You should put a number on the matches. I don't know. I, I used to do that. <laughs> right? I, I, no, seriously, I did, exactly but I used to smoke. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So he, he told me he got a hold of her. And basically she says, uh, well, I have Sean's number. If I'm interested, I'll call him. If I'm not, I'll call you. And she didn't get back to either one of us. So that is what it is. Um, Sean, I don't mean to cut you. Uh, yeah. Real quick, did you fund this out of your own pocket or how'd you raise the yeah. funds for this? Out of yeah. your own money? Yeah, well, I had a little bit of a, a like a mini starter campaign that didn't really get hardly anything. Um, it paid, it paid for the reenactments and the, the cabin fire scene that night. Let's speak of reenactments because <laughs> I've, I've watched a documentary last night. It was my third time watching it. And I can I climb never... trees. Well, I used to be able to climb trees. 
<laughs> I, I I never, you know, you know, because Sean and I met real quick story. We met through uh, a, a mutual acquaintance, Mr. Nathan Barker of Camp Blood Radio. So, and I've seen the documentary before we met, and I watched it twice actually before we met, and I watched it last night just to refresh my memory. And I'm like, no, that's not. So, was that like? Tell us about that. Like, did you uh, you do your own stunts? <laughs> Well, this is simply put a no budget project, meaning yes, I paid for 90, 98 plus percent of it, 99 probably. Yeah, it was all me, which technically that's, you know, like I say, there were some people that contributed a little bit at the beginning and they were just like, eh, you know, um, I, and I, I reached out to them and, and uh, cause the plan, the plan was for distribution. Yeah. But there's unfortunately, you know, studios want a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I paid enough for this, and I'm how, like, I'm not. If you don't mind me asking, how I'm, much did you I'm shell not out anymore? What's Something that? like this. How much does this like? How much would it like run? I mean, obviously you can't really put a number on it, but like, I don't, I don't want to get personal. How much? If you don't mind me asking, if you don't mind telling us, how much did you your fund for this project? Yeah, you, you you should you should have some money. I'm just gonna say you should have some money. Yeah, you better have <laughs> an Italian talking, mattress. I'm not, I'm not talking a couple hundred bucks either. So. Yeah, I can only imagine yeah. Um, yeah. what it probably costs because I did a 12 minute short fan film, and you know it was a little over a thousand dollars for 12 minutes. So I can only imagine, you know, oh. your your project. I think it was like runtime's like 37 minutes maybe around that yeah. and then you said you had like three and a half hours of yeah, yeah. unused footage so yeah i can only imagine yeah i mean if you got a thousand dollars for a 12 minute movie you gotta steal honestly you gotta steal like well, that's well we, but, yeah, but it, it was all self-funded and like you said you know we did our own stunts makeup and stuff yeah. like that yeah well, that, yeah <laughs> that's what you gotta do i mean uh yeah i mean i you know, as far as an actor, you, you definitely want to get stunt certified so you can get more opportunity. Wait a minute, you're an EMT though. Well, you you were an EMT, <laughs> so God forbid something happened. Here he is, Mr. Richards is on the scene. I used to do EMS. Fun fact, real quick, it's not about me, but I did it seven years up here, and uh, in the Bronx. Uh, I guess I was a fake EMT. I was in privates predominantly, but dude, yeah, I, it gets it gets a little crazy sometimes. So, anyway, yeah. back back to what you were saying. Thank God. Thank God nobody yeah. got hurt. And like, I was, I was concerned, um, you know, like going up there, uh, we shot that up in Payson, Arizona that, oh yeah. So we also shot that before I moved out to LA in September, 2014. So we had Chuck Edwards interview. We had, um, Paul's voiceover. We had the intro outro we had, um, and then we had filmed the, the cabin, you know, partiers that night, that scene, and then the reenactment death, death sequence the next morning. And that was an overnight up in Payson. And I was, yeah, I was kind of, you know, talk, talk about uh, trial by fire. Like I was <laughs> nervous. Like I was like, you know, I want everybody to be safe, um, you know, and we're just going to do the best we can with this and what we got. Um, everybody was really great up there. Um, you know, uh, we, we did the, um, you know, we even did a little uh, a party in for to get into the mood for the party scene. But, you know, we did so much more footage of that than actually made the final cut. It was like, you know, 
we did all this party and this, that, and then light, light the fire. And, and how are we going to play this? Like there was, look, there was a problem with, uh, something about the furnace or the, the, oh, the, the, I think the, the fireplace, it didn't, I don't know. We made it work somehow, but we got there and we were like, oh shit, this does not look like the interior of the cabin in the pictures. And we needed it to look like the cabin in real life. And how are we going to do this? And so, yeah, that was a little bit concerning and everybody's safety. I was really, you know, everybody be safe. And, uh, and, you know, we, we pulled it off and, um, you know, I think the most, well, I think the most unnerving stunt was on my shoulders because, you know, here I am climbing up this tree with these size 14s on this little rungs of wood, like that stick out that much. And I'm, I think I did like probably six takes of that. And, but it was weird how the tree was like there out in the woods from the cabin walking distance and it literally had like little rungs of wood into the, the to climb it already in it and up there at the top there was a little platform somebody had built so we were able to get that shot from the cameraman being up there and he's looking down at me as i'm oh, climbing geez. up the tree so you did well tarzan <laughs> so in the documentary we learned that you know during filming they didn't have the definitive hockey mask yet and it happened by accident yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think there what if they never had the hockey mask do you think the character would have you know progressed to part four five six seven eight nine ten i don't know um, I, well, I think they would have continued to make sequels. Would they have been as iconic as they are? Probably not. Um, the mask is iconic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the, it was, I think it was kind of just dumb luck. Um, you know, it's Steve Miner kind of stumbled across that in uh, lighting test. And also too, I found out there were various versions of this story about how the mask was discovered during the filming of part three. Mm. And the one that seemed to be the most prevalent. And then I checked with, uh, I think a couple people that worked on the set and they, they told me and, and confirmed that was the one we mentioned in the documentary. And uh, yeah, it's his, his name escapes me right now. Um, but he had a bag of hockey gear with him and he you know i think he was from detroit area and uh he had a, a hockey mask and i think it, so he was a red wings fan and uh he, they, they or, or just maybe he had a mask from some of their time i think but he brought it out and they tried it on for lighting tests and miner saw it and he thought it was great but it had to be recast to make it bigger for you like the style, but they had to make it bigger to fit for Brooker. And um, he also, they also altered the style a little, a little bit to make it unique for to part three, because there's, if you look at the history of hockey, to my knowledge, there was really no mask that existed spot on to what you see in part three or, 
it was kind of its own thing. They, they modified it a little bit to make it, you know, I don't know, maybe it was for, so the manufacturer doesn't sue them or whatever, right. <laughs> you know, we're going to tweak this it's to make this. Almost like parallel to how they made the Michael Myers mask. Right, right, uh, right. Yeah. So that's perfect example right there because yeah. that's a Shatner mask and we're not going to get sued by Shatner or <laughs> whoever owns Star Trek or whatever. So let's change the likeness a little bit. Um, so I think that maybe might be Martin J. Sadoff was his name. That's there it is. Um, so there is uh, there's a story right there. I even asked Larry. There's even a story out there about how Larry came up with the mask or something like that. And I'm like, really? So I asked Larry, I think, <laughs> during his interview, he's like, what? He's like, there's a story about that? And I'm fairly certain he was like, I don't, what? No, no. Or I don't know. But I talked to Larry. I mean, God, I made the documentary almost seven years ago now. So maybe, but I'm fairly certain Larry told me, he was like, mm, no, that's, I don't think he discovered it. Uh, you mentioned yeah, Michael so Myers, though, Brian. Uh, didn't you have a, you had another short film? It was The Spirit of Haddonfield. It was a fan film you did. Talk to us about well, this one for, for well, those that, was, that don't know. Well, that was, yeah, that was Renee Rivas's film, kind of a yeah. nod of the hat to uh, the Halloween series. Um, and he made he it for involved. the 40th yeah. anniversary of John Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah. Uh, so, Renee, yeah, Renee shot that and he wanted to make it with the feels of the original. And he's up in Flagstaff. And, um, there's actually some really Midwestern looking streets in that town. And he had always thought that. And Renee is, <laughs> he's, I, Halloween's my favorite horror movie ever. 1978's Halloween was my favorite horror movie really? ever. Really? So it's Michael over Jason? Uh, well, for that. Uh, as a series, I like Friday the 13th better. Yeah. Um, I really <laughs> only like the first three Halloween movies and, and parts, and H2O's not bad. But the rest of the series, I'm just like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. You know, it's, it's kind of just, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, I mean, you think they ever have a Michael versus Jason? They had Freddie and Jason. There's somebody who made a fan film out there. It was Michael versus Jason. It's actually pretty well done. It's these two brothers. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, you know, they fight each other uh, borderline like um, – What's one of those fast martial arts movies? Um, something like something that. Like Jet Li, something like that. It, man. It's not a double dragon or something like yeah. that. Al <laughs> almost bordering on that. So it's a little bit like, okay. <laughs> but uh, actually, it's really well done. Um, and I, I was like, wow. Uh, so that was, and it's gory as shit. It's gory as all get out. Uh, and it's, it's great. It's fun. Like, they beat the shit out of each other. I think, you know, Jason cuts off Michael's fingers or something. And <laughs> this is, you know, so, but yeah. So regarding Renee's film, yeah, he, he's a bigger Halloween fan than me. He, I, I hats off to him. And so for his birthday one year, I was going up to his get together for his birthday. And I, I, I had to sign Donald Pleasant's picture from with the certification from England and uh, recognize he was, you know, bigger fan and i'm like you know so i gave him the, the donald pleasant signed photo and he's like are you sure and i'm like yeah i mean you're you are a bigger halloween fan than me so absolutely you know that's what it's about i think you know it's um that was a nice gesture donald pleasant that? That, that was a nice gesture man donald pleasant well, he's he's a good friend 
and uh you know we, we've had a lot of fun on projects and uh i got to meet him through uh vin desanti who's on the never hike alone thing i met vin actually before um before never hike alone came out and and right before he filmed the last sequence up in big bear uh and then i worked on that a little bit um that was an experience um yeah let's talk about that really but, quick because but, uh, yeah, but so Ben and Renee helped out with the documentary a lot in the opening sequence and the drone shots. Hold that thought. I'm going to uh, plug this in because okay. I guess this is draining my phone pretty quick. Okay. Um, so now you got this picture in the background. And I don't nice. know if you guys can recognize Michael. There he is. Yeah. 1978. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, so I got that print from um, Kim Gottlieb herself. Uh, and uh, she was super sweet about that. I didn't expect that that was a very kind gesture i was kind of down on my luck during the recession and you know so um yeah she nick castle had came in for the 30th anniversary get together and everybody's like oh my god it's nick castle and you know and wanted to meet him get a picture but he was just there to uh, visit tommy lee wallace and um and so he wouldn't you know he wouldn't take pictures with anybody or sign anything he's like i'm just here to but he was nice about it Mm -hmm. just like i'm just here i'm here to visit my friend and you know so i was like super bummed so i reached out to i talked to kim and because he was talking with kim a little bit i was like is there any way you know that you might be able to he's like if i sent you something could you know because she's mentioned she hangs out with nick nick's her friend and what do you want to decide you know i was like well i can't do that but i can you know if, if you'd like a print tell me you know which one you'd like and so that was yeah it's totally sweet so before we talk about Vin, I had uh, about Spirit of Haddonfield. Now I noticed there was a Haddonfield uh, Memorial Hospital jacket on the uh, chair. Was that your jacket? It is. I see. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> it is. Well, on the yeah, on the first trip to California I ever had, um, great excuse to uh, you know. Um, Great excuse to go out to California for the first time was 25th anniversary for Halloween get together. Nice. And, you know, I got there and, you know, it's the last week of October, 2003. And I'm like, first trip to California. I'm going to take my pair of jeans. Probably won't even need them. Uh, need some shorts and I'll just take some t-shirts. And I took the jumpsuit for pictures, you know, in the map. Uh, but I, yeah, I got there and whoo, like in the mornings at night, I'm like, damn, I was like, man, this is colder than a witch's city. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so they had these limited release jackets. They were making silver champagne made them. I think they made like 25 buds and like 30 jimmies or something like that. And I tried them on, and it's a really comfortable jacket. It's a Dickies jacket. It's super oh, nice. warm. Nice. So I, I got that. I, I might have gotten one if it was toasty out there. Probably not. I got it for warmth more than anything. So uh, I had it, and, uh, you know, throughout the years, it's appeared in various shots with, you know, from pictures of a cast or I think the picture with Mustafa, when I met him, I'm wearing it. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, I didn't see that photo, but – that must have been, I mean, how long was that before he passed away? Well, so the 25th anniversary weekend was, you know, was around Halloween 2003. So, and 
and then he passed in 2006. Right. Some time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you guys probably know the story on that. Yes. Jimmy, do you know the story? No. It's, it's really what terrible and, and horribly sad. Um, so um, he, his daughter wanted to get married in their homeland. They're, they're Syrian. So they flew back to Syria and they had his daughter's wedding in a church with a bunch of family and friends and the church was bombed. And I, I don't know how many people died. A lot of people died. Um, I believe his daughter died and he died. And um, a lot of people, I think a lot of people died. That's terrible, and, man. That was his son. Um, obviously it's a wedding. So his son was with him. Uh, Malik, right? Malik's his name? Malik? Yeah, Malik. God, yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't know if he was. I mean, he's he's still alive. Yeah. I don't know if he was there, and I, I would assume so, since he was the son and the brother. Yeah, it's just a, so he, sad, he might have been a very sad survivor. Yeah, it's yeah. Very sad. Mustafa had just such a great energy when I met him. He was such a nice. You know, you can just tell when you meet people when they have a real, genuine, positive quality about them, mm -hmm. and he totally had that. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about happy stuff. Yeah, again. We switch up, man. This is terrible news. <laughs> so let's here. get back to working with Mr. Vincent DeSantis. So, you know, I like when I talk about Vince, I like to coin him as like the godfather of the fan films because he set the bar with Never Hike Alone. And you, you know, you had a prop in um, the music video for Disappear. And if I'm not mistaken, in Never Hike in the Snow, correct? Yes. Can you talk about uh, that prop? I have a rolling prop, yes. <laughs> it's a rolling. Um, well, I'm from a Jeep family. Um, you know, uh, there's even, well, actually, I got it right here. I don't know if oh. you can see this, but hold Driving on. Driving in? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so here's proof. Here's proof right here. So I am from a Jeep family. Um, if you look at, well, I let me get this right. Yep. So that's 1979. Can you see that? Uh, if you move it over to to the side, because I got your oh. shoulder. There it's we like go. Reverse. Right there, right there. So that's my uncle Jack right there and me. That's 1979. Nice. That's a 79 CJ7. And uh, and then I remember right around that time, my mom and stepdad met and go up to their place on the lake, and um, his dad, my grandpa had a, a, a old rundown kind of rusted out not rusted out just rusty a little rusty it was a 47 blue willies and when they had a farm in new haven uh he used to um plow the field with that jeep and um he was a korean war vet super awesome awesome person grandpa bob and um and then uh, so there was that Jeep. Then there's the 79 CJ7. My stepdad, Greg, had a 77 white CJ7. My grandpa used to get a new Wrangler almost every few years once the Wranglers started coming out. So I'm definitely from a Jeep family. And, um, you know, I, I was all about the CJs. Um, I, I just loved All about the CJs. Yeah. No, what, what did Nate Barker say? Shout out to Nate during our interview. <laughs> He's all about the CJs. I'm all about the BJs. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah. So I, I want, you know, but, you know, being from the Midwest, a lot of those rust out a long time ago. So 
Um, you know, ending up out west, it was really fortunate how I ended up with the Jeep I got. Um, just timing. Um, I moved to California on a black two-door, nice beefy tires, 2011 Wrangler. Um, I got to California. When I registered that Jeep after I started my job there, um, they doubled my insurance for the same coverage in Arizona. Uh, they slapped a $1,500 registry tax on it because oh, I had bought God it within a year and then moved to California. Mm. And plus, I owed over $20,000 on it. So I was like, you know what? Take it. I don't want it. Take it. I sold <laughs> Just it get for, out of here. <laughs> yeah. I sold it for um, a loss of a few, you know, two, three thousand. Um, and they bought this business, bought it out. And then I was like, you know what? I'll just take the rail. I'll just take the rail to work. I don't want to be stuck in this traffic anyway in California. So, um, and then, so, you know, a few weeks went by, maybe a month and I'm like, well, I'd like to have something. So in case I have to go to the grocery store on the weekends or something like that. Yeah. So I ended up looking on Craigslist and listed there in LA, uh, randomly, you know, during these few weeks of looking, it's really weird why it was listed in LA on Craigslist. Cause the buyer was out of Kingman, Arizona, which is ironic and nutty because I found out that later in the future, that's where, you know, CJ's out in Kingman. So <laughs> I'm irony. like, CJ from Kingman. I'm like, the fuck is going on here? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so I talked to this guy and it, <laughs> he was kind of like, you know, he showed me what the pictures up. I wish I would have kept those pictures from the original posting ad compared to what it looks like now. Um, I mean, it still looked pretty good, but you know, there was some things on it. I'm like, Oh my God, this guy was a little hillbilly ish. Uh, I think there's uh, Kingman's got a little bit of that reputation. This guy had about 15 cars in his yard and, uh, this was one of them. And he had bought this Jeep for his wife and she has a broken back. Mm -hmm. So she didn't, she ever drove it. So I'm like, okay, uh, here's, if you're looking for a smooth ride, here's a Cadillac. And at the other end of the spectrum is a CJ. <laughs> like, you either hate your wife or you want a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just more of a Take this thing right here. Right. Make it even worse. Jesus. So, yeah. So I saw this thing and how stock it was and how clean it was. And I'm like, this thing has potential, even though it's going to might be a work in progress mechanically. And it was. It was. Hmm. Uh, but the engine was solid. And that was about it. And I just took it from there. So it was about a three to four year process to get it up to snuff. Um, and it was up to snuff for never hiking the snow. Uh, it was up to snuff even for um, the video, the music video. Um, so yeah, I ended up with it. And as I got money to put into it to, you know, step by step to get it to, um, you know, to get it to where it is. It, it right now it's basically a brand new uh, 50 year old jeep dude i wish i had a jeep we had a big snowstorm over here uh, with my car it's never driving the snow it, it's nuts <laughs> right. over here well i'm all it's like an ice skating rink over here i'm like yeah. I'm, I'm ice skating in new york it's nuts man. and but, the well other uh, that's funny you say that because that's literally i okay so if if whenever my time comes and i i, I already have a friend one of my best friends in mind that you know, he was a Jeep guy actually in high school. It's his going to be his Jeep. Um, and I've already 
uh, gotten a, uh, a, a sticker thing, or I printed it out like a um, Office Depot and then laminated it and put it on the window at the bottom. It says, never drive in the snow. Salt will ruin heat. <laughs> so it's for a future driver. It's like, come on now. Yeah, because oh, literally funny. the metal on that thing, it wouldn't even last through probably two winters and it would oh, eat okay. through. And, you know, it's clean. Uh, that is not my winter driver. Um, I, I got another, I got a truck. It's a winter driver now and, uh, and you know, daily driver. I don't even use the Jeeps, the fun time vehicle. So, um, yeah, yeah. And the other significance of the Jeep is it's the same style. Like, is it to make a model as what Mrs. Voorhees and Steve Christie drove in the original because they used the same Jeep, just one had the top up, one had the top down. And that's right. how Sean and I met because he went and visited Nathan back in, I think maybe like February, right before really the whole COVID thing happened. It might have been like January, February. And you guys had shot some video for like the 40th anniversary and uh, Nathan had reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want to put this video together? And I saw the footage. I'm like, Oh man. And you know, it was a, it was a fun learning experience for me because you gave me a lot of great tips on the editing and you know, it was you, you helped me further my knowledge and helped me with the editing of the fan film that I did. But it was, it was a really fun video. Um, you didn't see it, uh, Jimmy. I'll have to find it on the Camp Blood Radio thing. But basically, they reenacted. Sean was videotaping it. And they reenacted um, when, like, Annie gets picked up in the yeah. beginning of the movie. And Nathan's just walking down with his 36-pack uh, of Keystone, you know. <laughs> and he, you know, uh, probably suffered the same fate as poor Annie did. Uh, so, I got to see to send it over. I definitely will. So, um, yeah, yeah. sure. Let's oh, no, to, continue, Brian. You got it. Okay, let's go back to the just the uh, the Friday Thirteenth Memorial. When did you premiere it? Um, well, let's see. So that was premiered on Friday, October thirteenth, two thousand seventeen. So it was within the thirty fifth anniversary year of Part Three, and. Um, so yeah, we, we did that and that was at the, uh, it was a, a Lemley theater. You see the Lemley with the Frankenstein thing. So that's Carl Lemley. That's a big name uh, mm -hmm. with that. And so it was a Lemley theater called the uh, Aria Fine Arts Theater in Beverly Hills. Um, and we, we got, um, and David came out, um, he, he was playing Jason. That was awesome uh, for, for red carpet photos. And there we had so many rubberneckers because it literally the streets <laughs> right there. Like here's the sidewalk, here's our red carpet, and there's your typical five o'clock California LA traffic, and <laughs> all the people are just click click, <laughs> you know. And uh, I think even somebody even got into a wreck because they were rubbernecking too. And then we it wasn't oh, wow. bad, but the bubble we heard a smash and then some glass, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit. Happy Friday the 13th. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because uh, we had, I did this little uh, short video to hype up the Halloween party that we had last year with Brian and South Jersey Jason. So we were on the boardwalk of Atlantic City and people were next broken. Like everywhere he went, yeah. it was just like, what's going on here? They thought we were legitimately like filming a movie. People coming up to us, asking us for pictures, autograph. <laughs> it was wild, man. It was only like just 
couple of minutes of filming in there. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's always it's always fun to see people's reactions. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. especially you know, you know, back in eighty what eighty seven, Jason took Manhattan. Well, in two thousand. 20 Jason took a Lang city. I'm in parts of Lang city. I normally wouldn't go to in my Jason costume. <laughs> hey, listen, you went into the barbershop and we went into, we, we, we got a sponsor and we yeah. went into this barbershop, man. It's not in the nicest area in Atlantic city. The outskirts are pretty gritty. So we're walking in there. Mind you. I mean, Jason dressed up in full gear. These guys are like, who the hell is this? And this barbershop, listen, lack of a better term in the hood. And here we are. Uh, and listen, guys, I'm, I'm ready to do the promo. Who the hell are you? Uh, Jimmy J? I'm, I'm so after I told him who I was, I thought we, were, we weren't going to make it out of the barbershop. But I knew that South Jersey Jason had a fake machete, and we would have been okay. Actually, the machete was real. It was real. Oh, it was dull. Yeah, that's right. It was real. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> out. But, well, we could have hit yeah. him over the head a couple times. I come prepared. Well, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't go there with Jason, like, you know. Jason in the hood because didn't they do Leprechaun in the hood? Like they did Leprechaun, Leprechaun in the hood. Oh, that's an I mean, idea, did... Sean. There we go. Start writing. Let's go, Jason in the hood. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of yeah, which, Jason, yeah, Leprechaun in space and Jason in space. So it's totally. I mean, they did it, but yeah. yeah. Um, and the Leprechaun didn't go back to the hood just once. He went twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. oh, he loves so it. He knows. Yeah, he knows what's up. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So actually. Playing Jason, that reminded me of something too. So when we shot that reenactments, because we kind of it's kind of tongue in cheek, you know, a lot of Friday fans are pissed off because, and it wasn't meant any any kind of seriousness for Jason taking them out. I mean, how serious can you be? We've brought this fictional character to life, and he's taking out, you know, it's not it's it's just for fun. It's not <laughs> anything serious. And it's not meant to be anything serious. So, but I wanted to play Jason for that because I'm six three and I got the build for it. And uh, but I'm like, I was also one of the trespassers. So it's like, well, how are you going to do that? So we were going to cut it so I could play, but we didn't have that time. So I had Dan, uh, Dan Blunk was with us and he was helping out, and Dan played him for that. But later, um, I had an idea, and even it, it kind of extends it probably more overstays its welcome and extending and ending the doc because it probably should have ended with, you know, the pseudo fake deaths or whatever. And some people don't even like that. And I get that. I mean, we made a, a well-intentioned, well-meaning documentary and we ended it with a little cheesiness and tongue in cheek. But like I say, this is all fan service. It's all for the fans. So some fans might like it. Some fans don't, whatever, you know, you, you do, you do what you do and, you get what you get. So um, uh, you get what you get. You don't pitch a fit or some shit like that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had an idea of Jason in the snow and I thought it would always be cool. And that's actually one of the first things that Ben and I, when we met and talked, talking about the part three project, talking about his project and talking about the idea of Jason in the snow in the winter time, how cool we thought it would be. So I was like, well, I just did this, actually. I put on the gear. Uh, actually, uh, it was a, um, the, uh, the director and uh, uh, an actress we had and myself. And the three of us went up to Flagstaff. And this is before I met Renee or any of them. We shot that, actually. Jason in the snow, pulling the girl by the hair. So that's me as Jason. And then that's 
the girl, uh, you know, pulling her hair. She was fantastic. And, and that was like, we shot that on Friday, November 13th, 2015 in Flagstaff in the snow. So there's a little trivia, fun thing right there about that. And, and then, so I got to play Jason for a hot second in it. And, um, then How'd, it was that feel? How'd that feel putting on that mask? Oh shit. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I did it so much as like, you know, again, back to my sister and yeah. Oh yeah, we grew up with this, and kids, normal <laughs> kids grow up with this, and with Sean, yes, Jason, and you know, so we play like our own version of I, I create like hide and seek, and we had woods in our backyard, and so I had the cheap little '80s version of the mask because the kids couldn't get the cool real thing back then, <laughs> and so you had this little plastic, you know, and I think I painted a triangle on it, so and I had the the elastic band, and so yeah, I I, I donned the mask when I was a kid, and you know, and scared the shit out of my brother and sister and you know and uh so but to put it on for that was great it was like wow I'm, I'm really doing this for something we're really filming and um and it gives my height purpose like i really shouldn't be six three dad was five eleven mom's five seven five eight so dad said it was the mailman you know <laughs> well he delivered a good package because you delivered a couple good packages over here Couple good uh, films, man. Uh, honestly, and, and that makes me wonder, Sean. Like, is there anything upcoming that you can announce now? Um, well, I'm currently working on um, my dad's documentary about his story. Mm. Uh, his story is actually something else, and uh, and technically, I really, if things would have gone the way it did for most with uh, veterans and the injury he sustained in Vietnam, I, I, for all counts and purposes, all intents and purposes, I shouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. Um, he, yeah, he was 18 years old in uh, 60, 67, 68. He was in there for like seven months and they called him uh, the kid in his unit. And uh, he was in his cot sleeping when a, uh, a mortar attack came in and it blew up by his head and uh he had roughly about the size of an orange missing from his brain oh wow and oh my he, god yeah he went to walter reed for two years he had to relearn to walk and talk and use his uh, he was right-handed before the injury so he had to relearn how to write left-handed and walk and talk and um you know his right side was now paral had paralysis so he would walk with a strut which actually is funny because that would fit him a lot of people would give him shit that didn't know him be like, Oh, you probably think you're pretty cool walking like that. No <laughs> asshole. I don't have a choice. You know, and, uh, you know, and, and, but the thing about it is, is most people didn't even know he had an injury, you know, talking to him, just looking at him. Like you look like an everyday guy and talk like an everyday guy. And the only thing that gave it away was they go to shake his right hand. It was slow and he couldn't make a full grip. So he's like, you know, he always say when you shake somebody's hand, I always hear he's like, I'm, Sorry, I, I got a bad hand. And um, so, you know, um, he, it's, it's a, an amazing story. He's considered um, uh, still to today and maybe until they find out how he lived such a normal full life after the injury. They, I don't think they still know to this day he's a medical anomaly by the VA healthcare system. Um, like 
they brought him in for a uh, an appointment in the 90s and he had all, had all his health stuff done for the year i believe and he didn't know what the appointment was about so he's like well what, you know what do you what's this about what do you what do you guys want he's like well honestly uh, sir we're interested in your case uh we would like to know with your injury you sustained why you're so normal when 97 98% of veterans with the same injury are are either dead or they're vegetables and he's like okay well yeah you can do whatever tests you want to do under one condition you tell me what you find out and they're like okay absolutely of course so they test him 10 ways to sunday and they bring him back in and they sit him down and it's like so what'd you find out he's like oh uh they kind of just actually uh we couldn't figure it out. We, we don't know why you are the way you are. We don't know how you're so high functioning and you're a mystery to us, sir. We don't, we don't understand. I mean, my dad, when I was a kid, so I was born when he was 28. So he went to Walter Reed for two years and had me relearn to walk and talk and do all that stuff. And then he got out and he met my mom in the early seventies. And, um, you know, I was born in the late seventies. When I was a kid, he used to run like five miles a week. Uh, you know, he taught himself how to read, how to write. He taught himself how to play pool. And he'd beat everybody at pool. He taught himself euchre. He'd beat me at euchre like it was nothing. I'm a pretty good euchre player. Um, you know, uh, he, Bob, he taught Bob how to, in Bob's interview, he's like taught him how to play racquetball. Racquetball's hard. My mom and dad were divorced then. She heard that. She's like, oh, my God, he knew how to play racquetball. You got to be, you got to be pretty agile and good to do that. Bob's like, you know what? He taught me how to play racquetball and I couldn't beat him for two years. And I have all my limbs. Wow. I mean, it's incredible, man. Yeah. He was a great cook. Uh, He was one of the wisest people I've ever met. Great life advice. On on the other hand, he was a total goofball. He would put you into tears laughing. Uh, You know, he just, he, you know, and, and like I said, like how Bob had said in his interview, one of the most poignant lines about him that really sums up that is, you know, he said, um, you know, a lot of people would have let an injury like that define them or slow them down. He's like, but not your dad. He's like, you know, and I know for a fact it made him more determined to live a full life. And it did. And he did. And, in you know, he went Disco King of Fort Wayne <laughs> oh, in 79. Like, he was no <laughs> joke. He was, he was the man. He was the The, the man real life man. Travolta. Mm. Yeah. So, so what's your plans for the premiere? Are you thinking like a video on demand or a YouTube route again? Um, well, I think, you know, I might go with uh, maybe like Amazon Prime or something okay. like that. Um, you know, it's... I'm just getting, you know, it's kind of in the early stages with the, you know, I was in Vegas as a stagehand carpenter and uh, got, you know, that the work got cut out um, and, you know, mid-March and then had all that time off. So that's one of the things I did uh, was I, you know, did that, typed up a 16 page outline and I just recorded the narrative for it. So I'm doing the voiceover for this one. 
sorry, Paul, you're not going to be able to do the voice. <laughs> but actually, it's funny because Paul said to me when we met, he's like, why don't you do this voiceover? You got a good speaking voice. You know, I'm like, well, thank you, Paul. But, you know, you were in part three and yours isn't too bad either. You got a really good narrative. <laughs> so, but, uh, so there you go, Paul. I'm, I'm following up with the first doc with the second doc uh, with me doing the narration, which is funny because it, the first two projects I've done as a filmmaker being my project. I mean, I've been involved with other things that weren't my project, but the first two projects I've done, this is kind of weird were documentaries both about a guy named Richard. Oh, well, for that. So it's wow. like, okay. But dad liked Rick, so, you know. But So, so anyway. 10 years, Sean, 10 years from now, what do you see yourself? Well, um, you know, uh, doing, I'm just going to be doing the healthcare path. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm back with the agency here in the Midwest. And they, they've expanded, actually since I moved out West and came back, they were just out of Indianapolis and now they're with about five major cities. So um, hopefully get some work through them. I've had a number of auditions since I've moved back. Um, you know, hopefully uh, get some voiceover stuff going. I'm actually putting together a voiceover reel um, and I'll probably, re I'm gonna be releasing that on my page here probably within the week. Um, I'm, I'm just gonna be moving it forward with, with my career and. In healthcare and then you know hopefully something in, in, in filmmaking um you know anything I'm, on the I'm, filmmaking I'm available anything that? on that filmmaking bucket list of yours oh uh yeah you know i mean i'd uh I'd, I'd love to be in uh one last john carpenter project um he's my favorite director yeah um because of his versatility not just for halloween but of the versatility of all the films he does in various genres and they're all winners in my book. Well, hmm. there's a couple I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm being honest here, I'm, they're okay. But to me, honestly, I mean, you know, the success rate the man has with how many films he's done. I mean, you know, yeah, he's doing a podcast films. now. Is he really? But, yeah, he's doing a podcast. They just announced it. It was news. Like, hmm. John Carpenter's doing yeah. a podcast. There, there's only one or two that I wasn't really a big fan of. Um, but the rest of them, I, I love them. I think they're great. Um, and they're they're iconic, you know. Um, and I, I would love to work with him if he'd still be up for it. Um, and, um, you know, even like Steve Miner, if he wanted to do another movie, that'd be great. I talked to Steve, actually. I reached out to his agency and wanted him to be a part of the documentary and his agent told us basically he doesn't do interviews yeah so that, was, that was another guy you know that i tried he, to get to be part of the project he and was actually supposed to be a monster mania back in march they were doing like a mini part two reunion and he was going to be there and he was one of the first to cancel because you know when the pandemic hit and i'm like oh you know because he's so rare for yes. interviews yeah. and autographs and that would have been a grail for me. Yeah, I mean, I got the video of when I met him and it was at the Halloween 40th anniversary thing. He happened to be there for probably H2O. And, you know, I met him and talked to him because the agent probably told him, didn't tell him anything about what we did. Um, I think I gave him a, a card on it or I wrote the info down for him. And he's just like, yeah, it sounds great. Uh, you know, I just don't, uh, 
I don't do interviews. So, um, yeah, I gave him the info. So hopefully he's, he's watched the documentary. Um, but you know, I, I, like I say, and I, you know, Nick Savage too, would have loved to have had him. Um, but he's been missing for years. Mm -hmm. I, I think even some family members reached out to me and, um, asked because uh, they found out a, a friend or two or a family member like have you have you because uh, i got an email a couple emails and i had heard too he was a really he was a really private guy even when people knew he was around um so i tried those couple emails got nothing back and um you know uh, i think a friend or two had reached out and is like have you heard anything from nick and i'm like no he's not responded to the emails and it's like okay well if you if you hear from him please let me know or let us know at this number or email because he's, he's been missing for like five to 10 years. Nobody knows where he is. Um, so that's sad and you know, it's bizarre. Um, I, I talked to Gloria Charles on the phone and then I found out, you know, a few years later or a year and a half later that she passed like a month after I talked to her on the phone and she sounded interested about the project and then I didn't hear back from her. So I thought she wasn't, just being nice and passing me off and you know kind of like yeah and I was like okay well whatever um and then she was because she said she was literally going into a medical appointment and she called me back and so she was really dealing with something and she oh, passed from it and yeah but you know I'm I'm really grateful for all the experiences I've had um working out west and um you know working on tv shows out there and 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 I lived in LA for you know three and a half years and met you know filmmaking friends um worked on some really great projects that are doing really well for them and um i feel fulfilled and and leaving out there and and just continuing with it here hopefully you know i, I i'm always up to act or um be part of a project maybe help out with writing or you know producing or, or whatever um but i'm i'm most comfortable um I'm back here now. And like I say, I left out, out West there. I felt fulfilled in what I'd done out there and it was time for me to go. And I felt I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish for me. I mean, that was a bucket list thing there for yeah. a Midwest kid. It's like, how am I going to get out there and be a part of this filmmaking stuff? Cause I totally have a passion for it. I want to do it. And growing up, you know, watching the movies with dad and being enamored by the eighties films and just being like, yeah, I want to be a part of that somehow. And, and I did that to the best of my ability. And, you know, like I say, I was involved with, I met some, some friends out there that have done really well in their own right. And I was really happy to be a part of the project. So. Well, Sean, I want to thank you. Um, and I also want to give you the floor right now. If there's anything you want to plug, anything you want to say, uh, the floor is yours. Um, you know, I like, like I say, I mean, probably just, probably just what I just said, you know, I'm yeah. really, really happy for the experience. Um, really was happy to 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 live the dream that a lot of people really don't get to do especially if they're interested in becoming uh, a part of uh filmmaking and uh i i really i i you know i i did that out there and and I, i'm really grateful for it um you know you kind of you learn about the process you learn how it goes out there and uh and what it takes to make um a movie and um you know it's 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 not glitz and glamour it's not what they sell you on tv it's a lot of hard work and a lot of those people play you know you're you're basically jack of a lot of trades uh until you really get a name and you have that breakthrough project and then you can just do one thing if you want to and 
you know, and then the roles come to you, but you, you need that first project, that really big breakthrough one to, to get to that level. And that's hats off to those people that do that. It's about, you know, it's about who, you know, and it's also about being good at what you do. And, uh, and you know, it's, um, you know, so I'm, like I say, it was, it was an experience. I'm, I'm happy for it. And, um, I'm, I'm glad I got to do that. So speaking of bucket list, there you go. Well, our heads, here he is. He produces, he writes, he actually climbs trees. And well, <laughs> most importantly, he's a genuine human being. Sean, thank you for, for Brian, South Jersey, Jason, the background for Mrs. Voorhees, who, uh, helped us out here today. Uh, there you go, Brian. Your cue. Thank oh, you. Yep, sorry, I was I was mesmerized <laughs> by her. Hold on, let me take off my back video here. Hold on. <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees, kill him, mommy. What are you doing with that uh, Jason's mom's head there, Brian? <laughs> oh, wait, no, wait. The Mrs. The Mrs. I, I thought out, you brought know. it up from lower frame. I, yeah, I the, the that's a lot of head over there, Brian. Kill <laughs> <laughs> him, mine. Uh, well, anyway, guys, listen, Sean, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you, Honestly. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, we'll see you next week.